morning again. Take your Bible, turn to Ecclesiastes, it's in the Old Testament. If you open your Bible and get to the book of Psalms, it'll go Psalms, Proverbs, and then Ecclesiastes, we're going to be in chapter 3, is we're in part 3 of a teaching series through the book of Ecclesiastes, and this is going to take us right up to Christmas. And so if you uh, are a student of God's Word, you've read the book of Ecclesiastes before, been in church, and maybe another pastor has preached through this before, the question you may be asking yourself is, how in the world are we going to connect Christmas with Ecclesiastes? And here's my answer. I'll see you at Christmas and show you. Does that sound good? Uh, And uh, as we investigate this text this morning, we'll give you a little bit of background and catch you up if you missed the last few weeks. But this morning's message and this morning's text hopefully will be applicable to you. And the text, at least, is probably a passage of Scripture you've heard before. Even if you've never read the Bible, you've heard this passage of Scripture before as we begin to investigate that. Now, the thing about Ecclesiastes is it's a book of the Bible written in a genre called wisdom literature. And what I mean by that is it's advice giving. Just like the book of Proverbs, specifically written probably by the same people, same person, it's a book of Scripture that tells you what you should do with your life. Proverbs gives you advice and says, do this and accomplish this. Do that and accomplish that. Many of you maybe have a calendar or a piece of artwork, or perhaps have seen passages of Scripture from the book of Proverbs. You probably have it in Ecclesiastes, because Ecclesiastes gives advice in the form of saying, don't do this because I've done this before and it's bad. You follow me on that? Now, many of you have given advice like that before, right? Now, I've done this, I've experienced this, and you shouldn't do this. Y'all ever done that before? And then the person goes ahead and does it anyway, and you're like, told you. And, and that's kind of what Ecclesiastes is about. It's either written by King Solomon or written about King Solomon from one of his contemporaries. And King Solomon was the wisest person that the Bible had ever known except for Jesus. And during his lifetime, he experienced wealth, he experienced power, he experienced popularity. But at the same time, he had a lot of sins and a lot of things in his life that led him in the wrong direction. And the author is saying from King Solomon's perspective, when you do these things, these things happen. And you'll see these two phrases throughout the entirety of the book of Scripture in Ecclesiastes. You'll see the phrase, under the sun, but you'll also see the phrase, under heaven. And basically what he's saying here is this. When you live your life under heaven, under God's path, good things happen. Or this is what's going to happen in your life. Your perspective changes. But when you live your life under the sun, from a manward perspective, your life is utterly meaningless. In fact, you see this phrase over and over again throughout the text. Meaningless, meaningless, everything is what, church? Meaningless. You read this over and over again. And so if you read this with a blind eye without knowing the context, you'll read the book of Ecclesiastes and go, this is absolutely purposeless. I'm completely discouraged. You ever thought about that before? Because we do a lot of meaningless stuff. Would y'all agree on that? Think about this. How many errands did you run this week and were like, this is absolutely purposeless? How many chores or things at work did you have to do this week and go, this is absolutely meaningless for my life? Y'all do anything like that? How many tax forms have you filled out in April and go, meaningless, meaningless, absolutely meaningless? How many times have you just felt felt like your whole life is just a cycle of things that continue to go, and what goes around, what? Comes around. Y'all ever feel that way? It's just complete routine, and the routine stinks. This is how we encourage you here at River Hills, by the way. So how do we deal with that kind of stuff? Now we get to Ecclesiastes chapter 3, and you've heard this before if you've never read this before, 
from a group called the Birds during the 1960s and 70s. And you've heard it before. It's the phrase in the song continues to say, it goes, to everything, turn, turn, what? Turn. I'm not going to sing. You just heard some great music, and I don't want to ruin your eardrums, all right? But you know the song, right? To every season, what? Turn, turn. Y'all are stink this morning. Let's try it. 9.30 whipped y'all. All right, here we go. Let's try it again. To everything, what? Turn, turn, turn. Now you're awake. Good. Now here's the thing. The guy who wrote the song, let me, let me, let me rephrase that. The guy who plagiarized the song, was, he wrote it specifically from Ecclesiastes chapter 3, verses 1 through 8. And what we're going to do is we're going to start there, and then we're going to kind of dissect it a little more and give you some application. Y'all with me on that? And really understand what that song slash text means for us. Notice what happens here. He says this, verse 1, There is a time for everything, a season for every activity under the heavens. Notice what he says, verse 2, A time to, born, to be born and a time to die. A time to plant and a time to uproot. Now, think through this for me with a, for a second. You ever go to the bookstore or maybe Walmart, or maybe you've Googled this before, and you've seen the farmer's almanac, right? When to plant your crops. In fact, I grew up on a farm, and they say, always plant your garden on Good Friday. That's what they would tell us. People in ancient times had to understand the movements of the stars, the length of days, not because there's some kind of mystical thing to it, because they had to know when to plant their crops or else they were going to starve to death. Does that make sense? So there's a time to plant. There's also a time to uproot. This also goes true for us, right? There's a time to plant yourself in a certain school, certain neighborhood, certain town, but then there comes time to uproot. I think my wife and I, in the first 10 years of marriage, how many times, where's my wife? Over there. How many times did we move? Like eight or nine times? We planted and uprooted a lot. In fact, we still have boxes filled with stuff from 2003. Y'all ever do that? We'll get to that in a moment. Let's keep reading. Notice what happened. One time we moved, what, like three times in a month and a half? That was a blessing. And we're still married. You can do it. Here's the thing. Verse 3, a time to kill and a time to heal. A time to tear down and a time to build up. Great parenting advice right there, right? If you're a teacher, this is great advice. Sometimes you just got to tear them down, right? But then you better build them up at the same time. Agreed? You got to tell them what's wrong. Got to build them up at the same time. This is why you get grades in school. This is why there's a first place trophy. All right, here, that's a, beside the point. Verse 5, a time to, uh, uh, verse 4, a time to weep and a time to laugh, a time to mourn and a time to dance, a time to scatter stones, a time to gather up, a time to embrace and a time to refrain from embracing, a time to search and a time to give up. Been, you ever been there before? Man, there's a time to, to search out. There's a time to keep going, but there's also a time we've got to figure out when there's a time to give up. For years, I had this picture in my office of a seagull. Now, I'm not going to get too graphic because it was actually a drawing, swallowing a frog. And at the bottom of it, it says, never give up. Now, help me understand. Half the frog was in the seagull's mouth, but the frog's arms were coming around choking the seagull. And the phrase said, never give up. That was kind of my mantra. But there are times where you need to quit, right? Right? There's just times. I keep reading here. A time to keep and a time to throw away. Let's go back to that box that's been on our garage for eight years since we moved. Y'all been there before? Every spring, every fall, do y'all do like a cleaning? We've got to clean this nonsense out. We've got to get rid of this stuff because if we don't, we're going to be present-day hoarders. Now, some of you are there on that, and I would encourage you to clean. But here's the deal. Do you ever go through these boxes? You haven't opened this box in 28 years. You open it up, and you find like a fondue pot. You look at that fondue pot like, I could use that. Do throw it away. You haven't used it in 28 years. Cockroaches stay away from this thing because it's so nasty. Y'all with me on that? 
Time to keep, time to throw away. Keep going. A time to tear and a time to mend. Oh, I need to learn this next one. A time to be silent. Can anybody relate to that? Some of you are really good at not being silent. But then there's a time to speak up. Sometimes we could do that. A time to love and a time to hate. And a time for war and a time for peace. There's a time for everything, right? If we aren't careful, as we read this text, we'll find ourselves in a vicious cycle. And we feel like we can never get out of it. The average Ferris wheel, when you take a ride, we're going to go to a fair next week, is three rotations. Now, I'm going to count them when I ride the Ferris wheel this week, and I'll come back and report to you guys if it was three times. If it's not, I'm going to demand another. If it's four, I'm not going to say anything. Because it's like the extra fry in the McDonald's bag, right? <laughs> but here's the deal. We have to be careful because we find ourselves in cycles that we can't break out of. The movie Groundhog Day, have you seen that? It's a great example. Bill Murray is an actor in this movie. And he wakes up to relive the same day over and over again. Y'all remember the movie, right? So he relives that same day over and over again. And so he doesn't know what to do, so he tries to take pleasure in everything, and he finds himself without a purpose. Then he gets really sad and depressed and just lays in bed, and he finds himself without a purpose. Then he tries to better himself, only to relive the day and next day and never be able to use it again. Then he tries to kill himself, and he wakes up, and he, there's the day again. Then he does, he's just mean to people, and then he relives the day over and over and over and over again comes to the end with no purpose until he finally finds one and he breaks out of it. Hear me on this. When you're caught in a cycle, you find like, you feel like your life has no purpose. Are y'all with me on that? And we go back to the phrase throughout the entirety of the book of Ecclesiastes, meaningless, meaningless. Let's finish it. Everything is what? Meaningless. You feel that way sometimes? And it leaves us with this statement or this question found in verse 9 that the author writes here. And this is, this is our jumping off point this morning because what we really want to do is find out how do we break the cycle? How do we get more purpose? Notice what the author has here. He says this in verse 9. What do workers gain from all their toil? Let me kind of make this a 2018 statement, okay? You ready? What's the point? Have you been there? What's the point with the paperwork? What's the point with filling your car up with fuel only to have to fill it up again three days later? What's the point with all the errands? What's the point with all the things that you do? Where do I find my purpose here? Well, there's two things you need to grab hold of here. When you live your life with the mindset of under the sun, from a manward perspective, your life will be a cycle. You need to understand that. When we aren't living a Godward direction, meaning when everything is about where I find pleasure and that doesn't fill me up, we dealt with this last week, if I'm going to find work and get success here and that doesn't fill me up, or I'm going to have relationships and eventually they're going to be broken or disappointed, that doesn't fill me up. When we live life under the sun, cycles happen and you never get off the spinning Ferris wheel. But here's the deal. Go to verse 1. Notice what the author says, and you may have missed this in the beginning. He says this, there is a time for everything in a season for every activity. What does that say? Under the heavens. When you're living life under the heavens in a Godward perspective, here's the deal. Cycles turn to seasons. Seasons I can live with. Cycles I can't. Y'all with me on that? 
Because here's the thing, the ancients believed, you go back to Aristotle, Plato, Socrates, and even older than that, in the ancient Greece and different parts of Asia Minor and places where wisdom was really the birthplace of philosophy, they believed that time was cyclical. If we start here when we're born, we'll have a life of death, we'll have a life of grief, we'll have a life of happiness, only to be reborn again and live out that cycle over and over and over again. Some people even in today, in, in this present day and age, still believe that idea. In fact, many of you buy into this sometimes. You ever dealt with the idea of karma? Y'all ever dealt with that? If I do good things, what's going to happen? Good things, right? Let me just blow that out of the water for you for a second. There was this dude named Jesus who was God, who was perfect, did great things, and they killed him. Not a very happy ending, right? For us it is. And so that whole cyclical idea of living our lives, but here's the deal. The Jewish culture and then later on Christian culture taught this. Time was linear. There's a beginning point, and there's seasons, and there's an ending point, and then there's eternity. Isn't that good? There's no Groundhog Day in our faith. But how do we live a life of under the heavens? What does that look like? Well, the first principle you need to grab from Ecclesiastes is simple this, simply this. What we see woven throughout the fabric of creation, woven throughout the fabric of Scripture, and specifically in Ecclesiastes chapter 3 is simply this. God's sovereignty is man's hope. When we understand God's unique power working in the fabric of time, there's hope for us. Cycles don't offer hope because it's a spinning Ferris wheel you can't get off of. But seasons do, don't they? Because you're going to move out of it one day. Let me kind of throw this at you. How many of you in a bad season right now? I mean, it's just bad. You're anxious, you're depressed maybe. Maybe it's a money issue. Maybe it's a grief issue. I want to give you some encouragement this morning. If you're in a bad season, it's going to pass. Is that encouraging to you? Because God created seasons. It's going to pass. Now I want to throw this at you. How many of you in a good season this morning? You woke up, the birds were chirping, the sun was out. You got up early, your kids didn't complain when they got dressed. You jumped in the car and you had your best cup of coffee and it didn't spill. You walked in the door and you saw somebody with a red shirt that said, ask me. And he said, i got to ask you something. He said, I'll give you the answer. Here's the meaning of life. And you walked in here and sat down and you thought about, hey, I want to hear about Ecclesiastes chapter 3. You sat down and I'm preaching it. Hallelujah, it's awesome. Is that your season of life? I want to give you some encouragement. It's going to pass. Your season's not cycles here. But God's sovereignty and power are woven through it all. And because of that, there's hope. Now, how do we see that in Ecclesiastes 3? You really see it throughout the entirety of Scripture, but specifically this morning, we're studying Ecclesiastes 3. What do we see here from God's sovereignty that gives us hope, that gives us a life under the heavens in a Godward perspective? Well, let's go to verse 15. We're going to skip around. We're going to piece this together like a puzzle and then land in verse 11 at the very end. Notice what happens here. Verse 15. Whatever is has already been, and what will be has been before. And God will call the past to account. Do you see that? Don't go past that word account. Whatever has been will be. And at the very end, God is going to call your past to account, meaning there's purpose in your past. God's sovereignty gives us hope 
because he uses our past for purpose. So many of us, including your pastor, will look at their past and feel shame. Y'all do that? Shame for things you've done wrong. We've got bucket loads of that in this church, right? I mean, if we could unveil all the sins in my life in my past, a dump truck would not be able to hold it all. Any of y'all can relate to that? And when we dwell on that, we dwell on those sins, we dwell on those issues, we think there's no way God could use me. Y'all ever been there? There's no way God could use that. There's no way God can show favor on me because of that. But then the other side of that story is because someone has sinned against me or hurt me in some way, there's no way God can use that in my life. Could be a family member, could be a friend, could be a random stranger. But because of their sin against me, I don't have any, any purpose in my life. There's no way God could use that past. I want you to understand something, and this is the power of God. There is purpose in our past. We don't have to live in that shame. You've done things wrong. So is everyone else. We're not minimizing it. We're demonstrating the power of an awesome God who says this, I'm going to take what's ugly and make beautiful. There are things that are hurtful that people have done to us in our past. We're not minimizing that either. But I want you to understand something. God can take those wounds, heal them, and use them. You follow that? That's the power of an almighty God who gives you seasons instead of cycles. This past couple weeks, our nation's been enthralled with what's happening with the Supreme Court nomination. Now, I don't know which side of the fence you stand on, and I don't really care. Here's what I want to convey to you about that. Because of what's happened in our culture in the last couple of years, either good or bad, the Me Too movement, either good or bad, has highlighted that there's been some atrocities done to certain people in our culture. In fact, therapeutically speaking, three and four women deal with that from a young age. So that means in this congregation this morning, many, many people in this room have dealt with those types of issues that's been highlighted over the last several weeks to years, correct? And when we look at those types of atrocities, both male and female, whatever they may be, whatever trauma you may have dealt with, sometimes we look at those things and go, how can God use that? You, you ever thought about that? Now, think about your trauma. You've got it. I've got it. I don't know what yours is. I, I'm not going to tell you what mine is. But think about that for a second. First thing we go is, why did this happen? And the second question is always, how do I, how do I get beyond it and how can God use it? not going to try to deal with why this morning. The quick answer is we live in a sinful world. Things like that happen. And I want you to understand, God was not blind in that moment. You've got to get that. But redemptively speaking, the how is that God can repurpose your past for your healing and for others as well. I want you to understand that. God's sovereignty gives us hope because he takes our past into account and does something with it. He makes the ugly beautiful. Now, only God can do that. And when we see that weaving in our lives, it brings about a profound change in us, right? But the thing is, you have to get yourself in a position to where you're living 
under the heavens rather than under the sun. Because the sun living is a cycle. It hurts, it's painful, woe is me. I'll try to get some healing. It hurts, it's painful, woe is me. The heavens, the Godward living, says it hurts, it's real. God can heal it. It may hurt for the rest of my life. But God can also use it. And in the end, he makes the ugly beautiful. You hear that? Bring confidence in this. Second thing we see about God's sovereignty brings man's hope is that presently, now, you and I talking, God brings hope by giving conviction and redemption. I want you to understand what's happening in this. God, using, God is using our present to bring about redemption and conviction. Now let's skip down to verse 16. I want you to read what happens here. The author continues to say this. I saw something else under the sun. Now, did you see that? Don't read past that. What does it say? I saw something else, what? Under the sun, meaning manward living. In the place of judgment, wickedness was there. In the place of justice, wickedness was there. I said to myself, God will bring into judgment both the righteous and the wicked. For there will be a time for every activity, a time to judge every deed. And then he goes on to say this. And this is where I really want to hammer in on. Verse 18. I also said to myself, as for humans... God tests them. Why does he test them? So that they may see that they are like the animals. That's discouraging to me. I'm going to tell you why. We have like a little hobby farm. I got five goats. I had seven chickens. We have three dogs, and therefore I have four chickens. Make sense? Y'all follow my train of thought there. Not to get too graphic, all right? But on this farm, uh, we've we've got these chickens, and... I just want to encourage you on something. You are, if you feel stupid, if you ever feel dumb, consider the chicken. Y'all with me on that? Now, got these chickens, and we let them roam free, hence why we only have four. We had seven. They roam free. And, uh, but at the same time, I, 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 my kingdom is my yard. Y'all with me on that? So I did some landscaping the other day. My daughter helped me. Went and got pine straw, and I was showing her. This is how you fluff the pine straw. You put it out in the beds, and there's good mulch underneath there, so the plants are doing well. Y'all feel any, fellas? I mean, the kingdom is your yard, but the kingdom for your wife is the house, right? And, and you better leave the yard in the yard, guys. Here's the thing. All that's happening. We're putting the pine straw out. But the next morning I come out, and those stupid chickens had gone out and scratched out all that pine straw into my yard again, only for me to go back and put the pine straw back. Yesterday we spent like five or six hours outside working, 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 and I, I can't wait to feel August and October again next year, can you? Anyway, all that, I mean, just all that said and done, and I get up this morning, and I stand out on my front porch, and drinking my cup of coffee, I just prayed and read scripture, prepared for this morning, it was just like a hallelujah moment, and look over here, and these stupid chickens are in my daggum pine straw again, scratching out into the yard, now we have three chickens, I'm just kidding, I'm just kidding. But yet, God says, go back to that verse in verse 18, he tests me to show me I'm like a chicken. I got a problem with that, people. You with me? Why? Let's go to verse 19. I love asking why in Scripture and getting the answer almost immediately. Verse 19. Surely the fate of human beings is like that of the animals. The same fate awaits them both. As one dies, so the, dies the other. All have the same breath. Humans have no advantage over the animals. Everything is what? 
meaningless. All go to the same place, all come from dust, and to dust all return. That doesn't mean animals go to heaven. That means like Adam was formed out of the dust, we all go back there. Verse 21, didn't burst your bubble, sorry, it's okay. Who knows if the human spirit rises upward and the spirit of the animal goes down into the earth. What he's saying here is this, the fate of the animals is the same as yours. You are not immortal. You are not immortal. But in the present, God's sovereignty is working in such a way to bring about redemption for your soul so you aren't like the animal and to be convic- bring conviction for your spiritual growth so that you grow in your relationship with God. The question is simply this, are you listening? You see, that's, that's, the, that's, the, rea- that's, that's the difference between under the sun and under heaven living. God is redeeming, God is convicting, but are we hearing it? Y'all with me on that? Many times we hear it and ignore it too, right? But for the believer in this room, if you know Jesus, understand that God is convicting all the time. Not for us to feel guilty, but for us to know more of him. And for those of us who don't know Christ, God is redeeming you to be better than the animal, to be better than the chicken. Thank God, right? But there's one more facet to this. Not only is God doing things by convicting and redeeming, God is making all things beautiful. God is working in the future to make things beautiful. This is where I really get my hope. He's going to take my past and use it somehow. He's going to take my present and redeem it somehow and convict me. But he's going to take my future and make the ugly beautiful. Go to verse 16. And I saw something else under the sun. In the place of judgment, wickedness were there. In the place of justice, wickedness wickedness was there. I said to myself, God will bring into judgment both righteous and the wicked, for there will be a time for every activity, a time to judge every deed. God judges. In the end, God judges. Now, that scares most of us in the room. Agreed? Here's the good news. If you know Jesus, the judgment that awaits you is well done, good and faithful servant entered into my courts. If you don't, the opposite. But let's go back to verse 11. The future is God's going to make a decision. But verse 11 says, He has made everything what? Beautiful in its time. He has also set eternity into the human heart, yet no one can fathom what God has done from the beginning to the end. Uh, leaving that verse on the screen for a moment, I really want you to really gather in this for a moment. He is making what you deem ugly beautiful he's making a broken life beautiful he's making a broken past purposeful and beautiful and he is making our sainthood eternal right he's put eternity in our hearts that's what we long for we've looked for it we reach for it we tried to obtain it we're trying to find purpose but christ says this it's me it's me it's me because here's the deal go back to the very end of that verse no one can fathom what god has done from beginning to end linear season not cycles When we think about and try to fathom and gather up what God has done, we can't even comprehend it. How did he put the oceans together with every molecule connecting with the other molecule to provide the perfect environment for the sea turtle? How did he take geology and put the structure of the earth and the crust and all of its layers so that it works perfectly together to provide the 
provide the soil for the pea plant so that when we plant it and photosynthesis happens, it blossoms and we eat. How did he put the universe together so that every planet is aligned in the perfect order to where the third one from the sun is tilted in the right way, has the seasons in the right way, has this complex nature put together and the environment perfectly put together so that you exist. It is not an accident. It is divine programming and God says you can't fathom it but I'm giving you a life under heaven not under the sun isn't that good God is making things beautiful he's making you beautiful and through his sovereignty and power he's saying your past can be redeemed and give purpose your present can be convicted and brought about structure and growth and your future is bright your future is beautiful and your future the eternity he's put in your heart is forever. That's the big God that we have. That's him taking his sovereignty and giving you hope. But we got a problem, people. We get to verse 22. And the author says this. So, so I saw that there's nothing better for a person than to enjoy their work. Because that is their lot. For who can bring them to see what will happen afterward? The question that he's asking is simply this. How do we live a life under heaven? How do we take all this stuff about the seasons and yet at the same time break the cycle? You hear that? How do we live life with seasons under the heavens and break the cycle of living under the sun? I hate appliances. I'm just going to be real with you. Follow me on that. I hate them. You hate them? I hate them. Because you got to buy them, and they break. Uh, right now, our dishwasher is broken. Several years ago, we came home from Sunday, uh, morning worship experience. God had used that. God had blessed that. And we walk in, and our, our washing machine had flooded our daughter's room. That was a blessing. I mean, just, you got to have them. But at the same time, you hate them. And then if it breaks, somebody comes to fix it. And so I'll tell you what's wrong for $85. You mean you're not going to fix it for $85? Nope. Just tell you what's wrong. Then you do all, and it's just like, ah! Drives me nuts, right? Several years ago, we had a dryer. I think dryers are essential to living because I don't like to hang my clothes out in the yard anymore. It's just wonderful to throw it in. So like many of you, we took the clothes, we put them out of the, took them out of the washing machine, we threw them in the dryer, we turned the start button on, and we went to bed. Y'all ever done that before? Everybody does that, right? We go to bed, we get up this morning, we run out of the house like we all do trying to get to work and to get to school. We come back later on about 6 o'clock, we notice the dryer's still going. That joker had been on for 24 hours straight. The first thing I did was thank God my house had not burned down, right? But the second thing is, why is the dryer continuing to cycle? Brought in the repairman. The repairman is broken. No, no kidding. All right. <laughs> thank you. <laughs> uh, my mind was too weak to figure that. Broken. He fixed it and all that stuff. But if it would have continued to cycle, ruin would have happened in my home, right? And when you continue to cycle rather than have seasons, it ruins you guys. So we got to break the pattern here. How do we break the cycle and move towards seasons? Extracting from different parts of Scripture, I'm going to give you three action steps. This is your homework this week. Are you all with me on this? Are you all ready? Jot this down. First one I'm going to ask you to do is connect to God by being a light. Connect to God by lighting up the world. Choose to rather convey darkness to convey light, 
What I mean by that is Matthew chapter 5, verse 14 and 15. Jesus makes this statement. He says this, you are the light of the world. A town cannot be uh, built on a hill and cannot be hidden. Then he goes on to verse 15. He says, neither do people take a light and hide it under the bowl. Instead, they put it on its stand and it gives light to everyone in the house. And he's saying this, be a light. You see, light kills darkness. Light kills cycles. You don't have to live there anymore. When it's exposed to Jesus, we go from cycles to seasons. How are you going to be a light this week? How are you going to be a light in your home today? How are you going to be a light to your coworkers? Instead of living under the sun of saying meaningless, purposeless, nothing is here, find purpose in being a light for Christ. You follow me on that? That's life under heaven. Second thing is simply this. Have confidence in your seasons. And what I mean by that is as you go through your seasons, as you go through life, you're going to have seasons of good and you're going to have seasons of bad. And in the midst of those bad ones is when you really need to drill deep and have confidence in a holy and sovereign God during the midst of those seasons. That's your second point. So how do you need to have confidence today during your seasons of life? You see, Romans 8.31, here's your homework, memorize this. It says this, what shall we say in response to all these things, all these things that are happening in my life, the season that I'm living in, what do I say? The good? What do I say? The bad? What do I say? If God is for us, you see that little phrase, who can be against us? You have to preach this to yourself. You have to memorize this and write it on the palm of your hand, on the note card on your dashboard and say, if God is for me, who can be against me? And the truth is this, God is for you. And as you go through a dark season, know that the light is still shining in your life. God is for you. And you have to preach that to yourself day in and day out sometimes, right? God is for me. Everything is going bad. God is for me. How do we know God is for us? Because he died for you. He's alive today. Third thing, really quick, is simply this. Seek him and know him. If you're a believer, if you know Christ, your job is to seek him. Pray, scripture, life group, church, grow in your relationship with God. If you don't know Christ, you need to know him. You need to come into a relationship with him. Before you can ever get out from under the sun and get in under the heavens, you've got to know who Christ is. And your role, your role, if you know Jesus, is to shine the light towards Christ. So that we as beggars can show other beggars where to find food. But you got to know him. I love what the Apostle Paul says in Acts chapter 17, verses 25 and 26. He's making an argument for Christianity to a culture that's very much pagan in its thinking. And he makes a statement, from one man, from one man he made all the nations, that, the whole, that they should inhabit the whole earth, and he marked out their appointed times in history and the boundaries of their land. So he created all this. For what purpose? Verse 27 has it. He says, we, he did all this. God did, not, did this so that they would seek him and perhaps reach out for him and what? Find him. Though he is not far from any one of us. God did all this. Past, present, future. So that you would know him. So do you know him? And are you growing in him? This morning, I want to invite you to know Christ. On the Connect card you were given, there's a couple of boxes. The first one says, I want to know Jesus. The second one says, I want to be baptized, which publicly professes your faith. But for those of you who are Christians, and maybe you hadn't gotten involved in a life group, 
Now's the time to get accountability and encouragement in your walk with Christ. For others of you in this room who do know Jesus, maybe it's time to start disciplining yourself and setting a time every day to where you pray and read the Bible. But hear me on this. For us to live a life under the heavens, let's start with these three simple steps. Y'all with with me on this? Number one, be a light this week. Number two, choose to know that God is for you in the midst of that season, not that cycle. And number three, seek Him and know Him. And understand this, God gives you seasons, not cycles.